Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are back once again to uh, talk about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlined by a featherweight bout between Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen. We're talking about the prelims right now with a featured prelim between Phil Haas and Roman Delidzi. And uh, yeah, I don't, it's not, well, no, not really. <laughs> hey, take it away. <laughs> you know? Normally I might complain, but you want to talk about Roman Delidze first? You have at it. No, yeah, it's um, it's not an inspired group of prelims, is it? No, no, it's not. And this no. is, I mean, we 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 mentioned this. Uh, people will hear us mention it, I suppose, on the main card, Vivi. That you you think this this should be an exciting fight? I, I have a I have faith in Phil Haas. Yeah, but I understand the that I understand words, that my friend. I understand much like JP Bay's Roman Delizzi has darkened your doorstep. Yeah. Well, but also just famous last words. I have faith yeah. in Phil Hawes. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Usually yeah. the the way that Phil Hawes betrays your trust is by like showing off whatever improvements he's been working on and then just getting slapped. The but weird there thing is, is another way for Phil Hawes yeah. to be uninspiring, and that is when he feels he absolutely desperately needs to wrestle somebody. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. It, it feels like Phil Haas has lost a lot more than he has at this point. Right. Well, because, because he has like lost almost in like five of his wins. Yeah. And his, when he loses, it's been spectacular. Yeah. He, he gets chin checked and either loses or like then the fight becomes terrible because he has to survive the rest of the time. Yeah. Um, there's no reason he should get chin checked here. No. Delidze is not a good striker. Really not. He just sort of walks forward sneering and hoping that you're afraid because he's big and then he fires kicks and then he grabs onto you and he has the most venomously dull grappling style because he's basically like Luis Pena. Mm-hmm. Of course, I also loved because he's huge. It's very difficult for people to get him off, but he also has... <laughs> <laughs> Ask the former Mrs. Bays if they yeah, say shine. <laughs> you know what I mean. It's yeah. very difficult for people to shake him off. Uh-huh. And <laughs> you shouldn't be shaking. But I, you know, <laughs> if you shake it more than once, then you're yeah, just... yeah, it's more of a stroking motion. <laughs> Um, so, you know, he just sort of blankets people Yeah, and has, shows very little inclination to advance his position or use it to do anything. Mm-hmm. That fight, that fight with Loriano Staropoli was, was heinous. Yeah. I mean, it's... you think the 95% of women's flyweight fights that happen where they just have the same exchange for 15 to 25 minutes. You think that's bad. That lacks momentum. 
How about a fight where one guy can't stop the other from taking his back, but the guy who keeps taking his back has apparently no idea or desire to do anything with that position. That was that fight. Um, here's the thing, though. Like, is Phil Hall's going to get intimidated by Roman Delidze? Because everyone seems to get intimidated by him. He does have this, you know, villainous swagger. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's huge. He's yeah. really, really big and strong. And that is, you know, that that's difficult to to cope with. It's just have a, a guy who's like a foot taller than you with a huge wingspan and um, and probably after he rehydrates like 15 pounds or more on a lot of the guys he's fighting, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, like he, he is menacing. Is Phil Hall is going to cope with that or not? And uh, I don't know, because I think if Phil Hall's if at any point he feels like he has to wrestle. It's, I guess, a coin flip, but I'd have more faith in Delidze winning that because at least he's going to like get to good positions and then sit on them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Phil, like, he's not good. Roman Delidze is the thing, but he not, keeps winning in these terrible fights. Physic, I don't think physicality or wrestling or grappling even have ever really been the big problem for Phil Hawes. Yeah, you know, he can always do the things he needs to do in a fight, and it's rarely ever that you see him where he does. He gets afraid or worried. Um, or, well, I mean, he, he, he's gotten caught and understood his own mortality suddenly. Yes. But a lot of what I think happens with Phil Haas is that he's a fighter who just gets, he gets, he's very single-minded. Yes, very. When he is succeeding, he is in a flow state and he is not thinking about anything other than the success that he is having. The classic Dennis Bermudez dynamic. Yep. And when all he is offense and, and all defense and the problem for him, especially is that he actually doesn't have good defense at all. So yeah, when he's forced to think about defense, it all falls apart. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of a classic problem too, is that, you know, if you're, if you get hurt and you start fixating on the idea that you might get hurt, it's really hard to have good defense in that instance, like good defense has to be built into the function of how you're living in the space, in the fight, you know, you have to just be like, oh yeah, well, I'm in this position. My hands are here. My head's moving like this, that that's what I'm going to do. If you're out there being like, oh, I'm going to try to see what's coming because I'm worried about it. You will not see what's coming. Yeah. You will get, you know, too much of what, there's too many options. There's too, too much of what people are trying to do is built to confuse that kind of attempt to, ascertain in the moment there's it's it's horrible that's why you know fighters who that's why knock getting knocked out becomes such a crutch for some people becomes such a uh, a hang-up because suddenly you're like oh my god i can get knocked out and then you get like uh alex hernandez who got pieced up a couple times and now every fight he's in you can see him going through his head oh my God, this guy is starting to, you know, beat me. What if I get knocked out again? And to Phil Hall's credit, I mean, having been in that circumstance so many times, he's still just as mindless. When he's on offense, he is not thinking about the idea no. that he get knocked out but I would at say all. To his credit, he has at least gotten better at being yeah. a mindless offensive fighter. Yeah. I mean, that's... Because Hernandez kind of lost that a bit. I mean, yeah. Phil Hall's has yet to... He has kept his reality. confidence. Yeah. 
He's if that confront reality when he isn't forced to. Yeah, and that fight with Darren Wayne, like that's a great look. Like that's what you, if you're gonna, if that's gonna happen, because a lot of fighters are single minded in that way. It's not unusual. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not even a, it's not even a major problem. Yeah, no one it's has just defense. It's MMA. Yeah, it's just you have to keep your confidence to go through that. If you're gonna improve you have to stay and be able to be the guy who's like, okay, well, I'm going to show up and I might get hurt. I don't know, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to fight like I'm invincible because I don't have another choice. I can't stop and start thinking about more things. That's only going to make everything worse. And the fight he had with John Wynn, he was a bulldozer. He just went out there and John Wynn's like, I'll meet you with hard punches. Like, great. I'll meet you with a step in front, like front elbow. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about me just walking right in on you and hitting you really hard over and over again? Yeah. And that's good. Like, I don't think he's going to get cowed by Deluzzi. It's just, I think it's going to happen though. And this is what I'm concerned about is that Phil Halls is going to want to be aggressive and Deluzzi is a clinger. Yeah. And when Phil Halls gets in his face, he's going to, just reach out his hands and try to grab a clinch. And he does. He's dangerous with the knees. He's dangerous with the knees. I've seen that on more than one occasion. And he will just drape himself over somebody. And that is usually it has been an out for Phil Halls. Uh-huh. That he's at least strong enough that he can sort of stall people out in, yeah. in like clinch wrestling situations. Delidze is not a great wrestler, but again, he's massive. Yeah. So I just don't know if um, Phil Halls is going to be able to overpower him. I haven't seen a whole lot of wrestling technique outside of like, usually when Halls is wrestling somebody, he just wants to like get an underhook and hold it. Yeah. And cram his head against their chin and, and, and hold them against the, the wall. Um, so I don't know. I just have zero faith in Phil Halls for good reason. I loathe and fear Roman Delizze. But the only fight Phil Haas has actually lost is Chris Curtis in the, in the la- in the UFC in the last few years. Yeah. It's not like like he's losing to a bunch of random dudes. Yeah. You know, he lost to Chris Curtis, Julian Marquez, and Lewis Taylor. All really good fighters. Or two really good fighters and a guy who has a really hard head and the ability to take a ton of punishment and land bombs. Yeah, and I don't really know how much punishment Roman Delidze can take. He's never looked fragile, but... Yeah, he's he tough. Hasn't, he hasn't allowed... I, a lot of exchanges in most of his fights. I would say it's pretty. In, his loss to Trevin Giles is pretty instructive here. Yeah, that's true. Because Giles is a low output, low attention for defense, uh, just sort of ones and twos guy who mm-hmm. sticks to some good fundamentals. And he got taken down a few times by Delidzi and draped on a little. Mm-hmm. But he just beat him by having more effective offense. And Giles is a dude who even has dropped down to 170 pounds. That's a terrible mistake. Yeah. But it's not like he's the biggest middleweight out there in the world. No. He was just physically capable of hanging out and also had some decent offense to land. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll go with you. I'll I'll pick Phil Halls, which it sounds like you're doing. Yeah, I'm da- I'm taking Phil Halls. I have I'll to. I mean, he's going to hit Delidze a bunch. Delidze's... But I don't know, man. <laughs> Do you think Delidze is going to knock him out? No, but I think he very much might hurt him. 
I, he might hurt him, but and then it turns into the kind of fight where Hall's usual approach to saving his skin maybe just has him narrowly lose instead of narrowly winning. Yeah, it might be, but I'd have to see him lose a fight that way before I was just going to pick him to lose a fight that way. Yeah, that's true. Whereas I've seen Delizzi lose a fight that way, and that was against Trevin Giles. He went out there, he did things that he does. He right. landed shots and took got takedowns on Trevin Giles, and he just lost. Yeah. Because Trevin Giles was effective. And he nearly awesome. lost that fight to John Alon at, at a yeah, yeah. light heavyweight. And Giles is also tough. Phil Halls is not, but Giles is not that tough. He's been knocked out twice in his last three fights. Well, yeah. I mean, he's he's had an entire career of being tough and taking literally every shot that comes his way. I think he's cracking now, and he shouldn't have cut weight, but he's definitely more durable than Phil Halls. Uh, yeah, I guess. He doesn't go out. Like, when Haas gets hit, he goes all the way out. When he gets hurt, he gets really hurt. He, yeah. And but, a clean shot on the chin, and typically in Phil Hall's is, like, he doesn't have a good chin. He recovers yeah. amazingly well. He's an incredible shape. Like I say, I think the problem for Phil Hawes is that he's so single-minded. He's just, when he gets hit by something, he, he does, does not, not see it coming at all. Yeah, that's true. He's so cued in on his offense and what he's doing. And, I mean, the way you see him fight, like, against Deron Wynn, it, 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 you know, the good side of that shows, too. It's just, just that, like, he's out there like a machine, just like... Yeah, yeah. Here's a one-two. Here's a step knee. Here's an elbow. Here's a reset to a one-two, and here's a here's a hook off the back foot. Just absolutely everything all the time. Just drilled through. Like yeah, you know, knows he was looking great against Chris Curtis. Yeah, he's out there fighting like he's Carlos Condit, without you know. Just that the openings are there, and the moment you have yeah. the wherewithal to to seize one of them, it's like all oh, oh, is completely unprepared. It's not. Yeah. This is a good winning process. But the, the technique is all very questionable. His chin yeah. is there. He overextends. Uh, he's very static once he begins a combination. Like, you know, yeah. all these hallmarks of a guy who's just not aware that the opponent's allowed to hit him back. But he's also with Sanford MMA now. So, you know, if they're going to slowly, yeah. slowly mold and improve that, then... Uh, Hooft is the right person to just like, if you've got the confidence to stick with the system, yeah, he will make you slowly better at that system and at seeing shots and yeah. not getting hurt so disastrously. And it is almost like he's he's had a bit of a like Charles Oliveira path because again he's yeah. been hurt so many times without losing yeah. nearly as much as he should. He might he might now be approaching the point where it's like, oh, I'm gonna get hurt in my fights, but it's okay. Yeah, and where he's maybe technical enough that even mindlessly he sees enough stuff coming that fewer things surprise him. Yeah, that would be nice. Would be. I would, you know, it would be really nice if he beats uh, Roman Delidze. Yeah. I would love that. I I will, I I am, I feel a little bad that I've talked you out of picking Roman Delidze because I really, I really feed off of your Roman Delidze hate. And I think you having to pick him in fights really helps make that just all the sweeter. Yeah. Well, how do you not hate him? I just don't care. He's he's fine. He's whatever. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just, just radiates like a scum. I don't know, man. There's something off about this guy. 
Just something off about him. There's a darkness in Roman Delizze. Fighter with a bad, a fighter with a weird personality. You say. Well, it's not just that. It's like <laughs> I don't know. It's also the like the swagging around like you're like God's gift to combat sports, and then you just turn in the most heinously boring fights. Like it's so awful on so many levels. Oh. Haas opened at plus 115, dropped to minus 184, currently minus 173. Delizzi opened at minus 135, jumped up to plus 148, currently plus 141. Okay. All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Andre Arlovsky, Marcos Rogerio de Lima. And um, it, could this be the end for Andre? <laughs> it's a Rocky and Bowling class the opening. No, that was more. Will our uh, heroes survive? I was Stay going for, next uh, time for. <laughs> I was going for uh, for Public Enemy. Oh, okay. Could this be the end for Rico? Well, that I mean. Okay. Come on, classic gangster movies. Come on, Zane. You're supposed to be the movie guy. But I mean that that but that's where like Rocky and Bullwinkle got You're embarrassing that. yourself. That that okay, whatever. Talk about Marcos and Jerry DeLima now. Okay, Marcos and Jerry DeLima, Andre Arlovsky. This is tough because yeah. there's been a class of dudes that Andre Arlovsky beats, and they are low-technique boxers who will just go out, and punchers who will just go out and trade one strike at a time with him. If you have a striking game that is built around you being even kind of busy even guys like jake collier and carlos felipe and chase sherman who tend to try to put some strikes together and throw a lot but don't have a lot of technique behind what they're doing or don't have a deep toolkit of anything other than their boxing game to go to just get just by the thinnest margin outworked by arlovsky Mm-hmm. And Marcos Ajayo de Lima is definitely a low toolkit, mm-hmm. one strike at a time striker who will go out and have a very slow paced battle with somebody. And most concerning for him is that he'll get tired while he's doing it. He usually comes out on fire in the first round and then loses a half step of pace off of that as the fight goes on. And that makes everything that he does seem really predictable mm-hmm. and makes it half as effective as time goes on. That said, man, is he a significant step faster and more powerful than all of these dudes that uh, Arlovsky has been beating lately. That's true. Like, you have to go back to like the Travis Brown win or the Brendan Schaub win before you find somebody who has as much like raw speed and power as uh, Delima does that has lost to Arlovsky. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I the dilemma looked pretty good against Blagoj Ivanov. He did. I that actually, I mean, Ivanov is not a guy who pushes enough of a pace, I think, to really bring out whatever remains of the old light heavyweight dilemma yeah. and like break him. But um, neither is Arlovsky. Yeah. <laughs> and Dilema, I think he has been working on, at the very least, he, as tired as he got in that fight still, he kept his power. Yeah. He kept his speed much better than he has recently. And in the green fight, he's shown that if he can get some wrestling going, he can just kind of control a fight that way and be the fresher guy on that aspect. Big into his grappling game at heavyweight. Yeah. I don't know that that's going to show up against uh, Arlovsky. Arlovsky can be out-wrestled, but it's you, th- there's like a very specific level of wrestling that you have to tip to be way better at wrestling than Arlovsky. And if you're anything less than that, he'll usually just stuff it. Yeah. I don't know if he's on the right side of that equation or not, but I'm going to pick Delima here. I think that the speed and the power is enough that he can just kind of think he can kind of go out and Ben Rothwell, Arlovsky, and just be a rare, really rough outing for Arlovsky that he hasn't had to face for a while because he hasn't had to face anybody who's who can really be fast enough to make him have to think about it mm-hmm. in a long time. Or when he does... You know, it's somebody like Tom Aspinall or Jairzino Rosenstreak who just went out there and, you know, put Arlovsky away in 30 seconds. Or in Aspinall's case, nearly did, and then nearly got put away himself and then out-wrestled Arlovsky and submitted him. Arlovsky beat Ben Rothwell, though? Yeah, but I'm saying that he can Ben... Like, the fight... I'm saying he can have the fight... Who Arlovsky or Ben Rothwell did to him? No, he he can do yeah he can do Arlovsky to Arlovsky what Marcos did, what he also did to Ben Rothwell. Oh, okay. Ben Roth he just went and fought Ben Rothwell in 2021 and slept him in 30 seconds, right, right, or right. knocked him down and got the fight waved off. Ben Rothwell was actually pretty pissed about it because he felt it was an early stoppage, but yeah, he hurt him really badly and put him away instantly. And I think, you know, for a guy like Arlovsky in Ben Rothwell who doesn't actually get hurt that often. And can have a lot of really competitive fights with a lot of people. Yeah. Marcos Nogueira de Lima was a sudden injection of speed and power that was just like a big notch again over what he'd been facing lately. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. Um, yeah, just Ben or Andre Arlovsky is what he is and has remained for so long purely because heavyweight sucks ass. Yeah, it is not. I, all all respects to the man for somehow like keeping his body and his fighting style glued together taking little bits and pieces of all the boundless experience he has accrued and applying those to to getting a very reliable way to win mostly very boring fights yeah i mean the thing for him is that like he started out 100% faster than the best heavyweights in the world. Yes, he was an insane athlete when he insane athlete yeah. and he has slowly gotten and and 100% less durable than the best heavyweights in the world. 
and he's slowly gotten to a point that he's he's trained one for the other. He's twenty five percent slower than the best heavyweights in the world right now, and he has good enough vision and he's collected enough confidence and enough wherewithal over the years, enough uh, experience that. He's just not he, he most people can't catch him off guard anymore. Yeah. But that's because most people he fights are big, dumb, slow heavyweights. Yeah, and he's Arthur still Jared Lima is big and dumb. Yeah. And he ain't slow. No. And he he's very powerful. He's historically more than happy to mix it up with anyone, no matter how dangerous they are at yeah. the beginning of the fight. But yeah, I think you're right. I think he might. I mean, typically when somebody actually does that to Arlovsky, they at the very least put a scare into him early. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's he's basically, he's not nearly as good or well-rounded a fighter. He's not as consistent or as calm, but he is the closest thing to Tom Aspinall that Arlovsky will have fought since Tom Aspinall wrecked him. So. Yeah. Or you can just go back to Jerzyna Rosenstreich and yeah, yeah. What can't Marcos Rogerio de Lima do in thirty seconds that Jerzyna Rosenstreich did in thirty seconds? Yeah, for sure. You know, Rosenstreich is a calmer, more collected, more consistent in his in his technical application fighter than Rogerio de Lima, but he's no more dangerous over a round. No, for sure. So, and, and then there is the fact that yeah, like Aspinall, he may in fact. If he does hurt Olofsky but can't finish him, yeah. he may be able to out-wrestle him. Might. Don't know. Like I say, with Arlovsky, it is a entirely matchup dependent from fight to fight just how good his wrestling will be. Yeah. So. But uh, at least it is an, it's an out for a, yeah. like what might be a... I mean, and there's also the fact that, like, I, I don't know, what is, is Arlovsky going to come back and... Is he going to punish the way Delima needs to be punished to lose? Yeah. Is he like how much could he have followed up on Tom Aspinall getting hurt, and he he doesn't pull the trigger very much, and he doesn't he's not comfortable coming forward, and he can't put together good combinations. Like he's just not a finisher anymore. Yeah, you go back four years, and he got beat split decision by Walt Harris. Yeah, and like Walt Harris is absolutely like completely one dimensional. Well, he, he yeah, he's he's a great port for somebody like Marcos Ajeri de Lima, where if you can get out in front of Andre Arlovsky early, yeah, he's not going to pull fights back, you know. Yeah, he's a good port minus the possibility again that de Lima might actually use his wrestling and grappling. Yeah, yeah, which of which Walt Harris doesn't have any. Yeah, and yeah, it's just. If he, if Arlovsky win loses the first round, it's hard to see him taking the fight back over from there. He's not that guy. He's out there. If he can if he can edge a first round out of you, then he can edge a second round out of you, and he can edge a third round out of you. Like he can go out and just by inches take every part of the fight away from you if, if you're not able to come out and put something on him. Mm-hmm. But I think. Delima can go out and put something on him. Odds on the fight. Arlovsky is the underdog here, opened at plus 111 and has been trending upward ever since. He's now at plus 191. 
Marco Sergio DeLima opened at minus 131. It's currently down at minus 237. I don't hate it. I'm surprised that the uh, odds are getting that wide, considering how consistently Arlovsky has won and how much uh, DeLima has struggled over his career. But mm-hmm. I don't hate it. I think the matchup works well in DeLima's favor. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout. Jun Yong Park, Joseph Holmes... What is and, going on there? Yeah, this what is... They, what are they doing with Jun Young Park? I, he must have just wanted to fight and wanted to get a fight as soon as possible. And Holmes was the guy who stepped up and was ready. Like, uh, I, I'll take another look at the, the UFC roster I maintain uh, over on Bloody Elbow here real quick. But I think that the middleweight division is actually insanely booked up right now. <laughs> um, Like... 75 percent yeah it's like 75 percent booked and was more booked than what that. The people want the people want middleweight fights yeah the people are we but hey you know if the ufc is listening to me i am not unhappy about that <laughs> but yeah middleweight's just really booked up right now and okay um so yeah i gotta assume that John Young Park wanted to fight, and Joseph Holmes was the dude who picked up the phone on the day, especially probably because he has he knows that if he wants to stay in the UFC, he's got to be a dude that picks up the phone. Yeah, I mean it's it's not like it's bad for John Young Park if it's no. assuming he doesn't pick up any injuries and in training for it or whatever. Like it, it it's it should just be another win to turn his yeah. to turn his current uh, streak into a streak of two. Yeah, like it's. He's, very favorable booking for him. Extremely raw. He's very tentative. He's he's just really, really awkward. Really mm-hmm. awkward, especially on the feet. Yeah. He has like one or two impressive things he does as a grappler. And that is about it. Meanwhile, yeah. Jin Young Park is um, really quite good everywhere and quite dangerous yep. everywhere. Yep. Is reasonably high output, has solid footwork has a good jab, solid takedowns, and is completely brutal when he gets on top of somebody. Mm-hmm. So it should just be a walk for Jim yeah. Park, basically. The only thing in Jim Park that, you know, is always a worry for him is that he's not he's not a great athlete. And oh. he works a style that puts him in the teeth of his opponent's offense. He's a busy fighter. He likes Holmes to... is, I think, bigger than him. Yeah, Holmes is uh, going to have several inches on him i believe uh yeah four inches in height and nine inches in reach i That's think crazy. yeah um or let's see did i read that right yeah seven inches in reach four inches in height seven inches in reach and that that is a problem because holmes is i don't, I, I you know i don't think he's actually that tentative it's just that he's so uncoordinated he's just awkward yeah he's just really un- awkward and uncoordinated and so it's hard for him to fire strikes off quickly in the moment but he will stand in and he will fire and that is why like you know that fight against alan amadovsky amadovsky's just bowling forward throwing both arms and holmes is just like okay step knee right up the middle bam done mm-hmm. knockout and he can do that so there's a there is a small danger for jun young park that Holmes will stand in and he will throw power strikes because he's big, but they're cumbersome. They don't come quickly. They're not 
natural. Like he can't string them together. His he doesn't have the coordination to be a combination striker. Uh, so yeah, Jungian Park should just be able to push a jab out there, get inside, get takedowns, get him to the ground, work him as he comes up, you know, just be the iron turtle out there, you know, go out, make this fight tough and grimy and, and put a pace on Holmes. Uh, should be good matchmaking for him. And the only reason it wouldn't be is just because, like I say, he's small and he's not that great an athlete and every fight is going to be a little challenging at this level for him because of that. Yeah. If he can't, if it, if he's not a crafty enough, like takedown artist to overpower Holmes, then uh, yeah, he could end up in an, an uncomfortable fight, but I don't know. Even then. Yeah. You should just be able to run circles around Holmes on the feet and just jab him up. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Oh, wait, no, that brings us to the odds. Odds first. Holmes is a sizable underdog here, opened at plus 195. Hasn't moved a lot off that, currently plus 193. Park opened at minus 230, is currently at minus 240. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Chase Hooper, Steve Garcia, and uh, man, you know, I've carried a little torch for Steve Garcia for a (laughs) while here. He's gritty. He goes after it. He has a plan how he wants to fight. He wants to be in your face as a tight boxer who then mixes in takedowns and puts a hurting on people. And you can see when he gets his fight just his way, like he did against Charlie Oliveros, he's got some brutal ground and pound. He's got some, you know, he's got some fun parts to his game, some things that work, but he's not a great athlete. And his his style always leads him right into danger. Like he he's a lot like uh, Jun Yang Park, honestly, mm-hmm. without the jab, and in divisions that are far less forgiving. Yeah, you know you can't really be the I'm not a great athlete, but I like to mix it up inside with people. When you he's start also getting... a shallower technician much shallower technician. Young park i mean not having a jab is a big problem not having a jab and not having the same i mean the ground game is a huge part of park's success yeah and uh he, you know he's got some elements but he's not yeah. as well-rounded a grappler as park. not as well-rounded a grappler definitely and yeah it's just it's a much less forgiving place to do it and chase hooper is going to make that really apparent yeah who, who would have guessed yeah, we could talk about how the UFC is not the place to figure out how your style works. Hooper's uh, doing it for as long as it's been around. That trial by fire has occasionally yielded a fighter who's just like they just turn out to be way mentally tougher than you expected and yeah, capable of rapidly improving. And Chase Hooper doesn't even look like a good athlete. He doesn't even have the no. usual hallmarks of a fighter who makes those kinds of rapid strides, but uh, he did it anyway. There may even still be some hard limits to how far that can carry him sure. forward. Yeah. But there's also like, still lots to learn yeah. uh, that he can build on and grow. And uh, if he can do that, then the, the strides he took in his last fight were huge. Yeah, he's still an incredibly uncomfortable grappler, or striker rather, not yeah. grappler. Still an incredibly uncomfortable striker, but he seems to be knowing that more and more about him than ever. And just much better at using what few strikes he does throw to wrap people up. 
yeah and and a way better understanding of how grappling should be used in mma yeah that he was actually every single position he was in was he still giving up good positions chasing like uh the fantasy of a of a thrilling submission yes yeah but every time he was in a mid transition or in a controlling position he was absolutely unleashing yeah horrific ground and pound like he was really really aggressive yep and that's strikes. the kind of stuff that like you don't have to be a great athlete to do that you just have to be a really tuned in well you know well schooled fighter about that and yeah. i mean he's a super technical technical grappler yeah really creative grappler just knowing that you should be banking points and damage every time you get to a good position is a huge stride for him even if he hadn't shown uh, improvements elsewhere in like his confidence and his distance management, which also yeah. be better. Yeah. So it's just a terrible matchup for Steve Garcia because everything Steve Garcia does wants to push him into yeah. the pocket, into the clinch, into takedowns, into, you know, his, his game exists on a continuum of get to the pocket, use that to get somebody on the ground and be on top. And that's just not going to happen. It's just going to yeah. give Cooper every opportunity to wrap him up and do a whole hell of a lot more damage to him than Luis Pena did when he's in control position. Yeah. He already flew directly into the sun against Luis Pena. Yeah. What What if Pena actually wanted to like win? Yeah. This will be <laughs> that Pena fight, but with a lot more damage coming back. Basically, that's what it feels like. Odds for the fight... Cooper is opened at minus 185, is currently down at minus 267. Garcia opened at plus 159, is currently up at plus 214. And that brings us to a flyweight fight, Carlos Moda, Cody Durden. And uh, Moda... Stepping in on short notice, yeah. Yeah, Moda stepping in on short notice from the LFA. I think LFA champ, actually, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um. And recently, only loss of his career to other recent UFC acquisition, Charles Johnson, who made his debut against Mohamed Mokaev and uh, became a stat, became a, a notch on Mokaev's belt. Mm-hmm. And a really fantastic fight that uh, Johnson yeah. and Moda had, where uh, yeah. I think Moda was probably up, and then Johnson just came after him in the fifth round of a championship fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally broke him and managed to knock him out. Um, yeah. Moda, a real, uh, you know, certain kind of Brazilian fighter. That, that Brazilian Muay Thai game. Yeah. Like, really, really down to exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, very square stance. Just likes to, like, meet people in the middle of the cage. Super active with his kicks, low kicks, body kicks. Um, hair trigger on the counters. All the counters are hooks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's kind of the kind of the book on him. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean a solid, poised, dangerous fighter. I think the thing with Cody Durden is I might already be tempted to pick him here just on the idea that he has a camp and on the idea that he can wrestle. Yeah. But he's also not a bad striker, Cody Durden. He isn't. He's he's pretty solid actually i mean his striking was a major part of what allowed him to uh to sort of i mean he kind of had to come back or at least fight yeah. to keep his advantage in that fight with uh Arichi lang Arichi lang yeah 
she, of course, embarrassed himself uh, and revealed himself as a racist uh, immediately after that win. And then just everyone started dragging out basically every other tweet he's done for the last three years is like, oh, this guy's a piece of shit. But he certainly looked good in the fight. Yeah. Um, very functional jab in particular, which I, uh-huh. I was, you know, like full on praising um, as that fight was playing out that he was building off of that jab really well. He was using it in multiple ways. He was. Uh, first of all, comfortable jabbing with a much bigger fighter in Arichi Lang. Mm-hmm. He was interrupting him. He was pressuring him. He was setting up combinations off of it. Um, it was really active and uh, an educated lead hand from Cody Durden. And um, yeah, I mean, I think Moda's the kind of guy who, even on short notice, will probably give anybody a few scares. Yeah. Just because he's again perfectly happy to have a 50 50 exchange with anybody but um it does seem like durden's going to get to pressure he's going to be able to get there first with his long strikes and that's going to give him sort of the luxury of getting to choose when he wants to start tying moda up and finding out just how good his conditioning is accepting this fight on like five six days notice yeah i I honestly am actually... I'm going to take the flyer on Moda here. Uh-huh. There's a couple of things about... about uh, I, I agree that Durden is, you know, he's a surprisingly decent striker. He definitely showed that in the uh, in the fight with Kilat uh, Chilang. But his game, like, he's, he's also got the wrestling that he can kind of bank on. But it's... Um, the things that like all the parts of Durden's game tend to come and go in fits and they don't seem like things that he can always rely on without burning himself out. You know, for a flyweight, he doesn't seem like he's got the world's greatest gas tank. And while he is a decent striker, he can mix it up as a decent striker. He's also wild and aggressive in ways that also get him hit really hard. Yeah, that's true. So that he puts himself in a lot of danger. And the, the only danger that really works is like he clearly has a tendency to get submitted really quickly. Yeah, but otherwise, I mean, he's 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 pretty scrappy. I mean, what, what what's an example of him? I guess it's the Chris Gutierrez fight. That's the yeah. only one, really, where he's, like, burned out, right? Uh, and the, the cute, the, the Ori Chilang fight, he, you know, that was a neck-and-neck neck fight until round three when he got some takedowns and top control, but he also got outstruck two to one Yeah, in the last round of that fight. You know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I thought he made some nice adjustments in that one and, and had a good third round, but... Yeah. Uh, definitely, Arichi Lang is a surging kind of fighter. Yeah, and Durden is not. Yeah, that's he true. is a strong starter who. Yeah. Uh, tends to you know he throws everything into the early parts of his fight. That is very true. And if it doesn't work out, which is probably then, also a big part of why he does just get insta subbed now and then. Yeah, exactly. Full on all offense right from right from uh, the word go. 
And I like how dangerous Mata looks. I like his. I like how yeah. dangerous he could look in a fight like that against somebody. I think in Durden, who will probably look at this as his chance to go shine and break some new guy. Molly is pissed about it. It was a particularly frantic sort of. God, she's emotionally yeah. distraught. Yeah, she is really unhappy about the fact that they are testing the dryer vents in our condos right now. I think what she's really unhappy about uh, is that you just picked against the racist guy. <laughs> you know how Molly feels about such issues. <laughs> That's well established on this show. No, I would uh, like to see Moto win. Moto's a very yeah. fun fighter. I'm glad to see him in the UFC. I, I, and I, I think really, that's a... mm-hmm. yeah. I really like his trigger counters, too. And I think that the way that uh, Durden throws himself into his strikes could really set himself up to get hit hard yeah. on the counter. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I think the key for Durden here would be to be aggressive and to like lean on the technical side of his strike. Yeah. I think Moto's a guy you could jab him up. Yeah. For sure. You could you can walk him back and keep him on the end of your reach and just not walk into those counters. But that does not tend to be the way that Durden fights. It'll, it'll be no. hairy. So I'm going to pick Moto for the upset. I think it's just cool. one of those things where he's expertly set up, excellently set up to get a overconfident opponent on short notice and be a surprising, you know, upset sure. factor. Hey, we need more fun flyweights, man. Yeah. Keep bringing them in on short notice, whatever. Just keep bulking up that roster. There's way too many good flyweights in the world that are yeah. in the UFC. Oh, my God. She is right in my ear. She's so loud. She's horrible. Molly! <laughs> All right. Uh, Moda opened at plus 125. It's currently down at minus 172. So instant shift to his favor here on short notice. Wow. Durden opened at minus 145, jumped up to plus 142. So uh, mode of the early favorite. A little All surprising right. on short notice, but uh, people liking him coming off LFA. And no one likes Cody Durden. Who also, and nobody likes Cody Durden. Yeah, was embarrassed. I <laughs> was justifiably uh, embarrassed in that loss to Mikhaev. Yeah. <laughs> That brings us to a bantamweight bout: Christian Rodriguez, Joshua Weems, and uh, yeah, this is kind of this is uh, this is a tough fight to call just because both guys are really raw. Mm-hmm. It's you, buddy. Take it away. It? Oh, okay. Yeah, it is. You're right. This is a tough fight to call because both guys are really raw, and. Um, you know, Weems came out and lost in his contender series bid and uh, was looking all right in it, but got knocked out. Mm-hmm. And Rodriguez came out and debuted against um, oh, Jonathan Pierce and just got smothered, which was pretty expectable. But... I don't know. We Rodriguez is a weird fighter, man. Like, I think it's a Rufus Sport thing, just the way that they train him. Um, he's not really doesn't really seem like a very good athlete at all. Mm-hmm. Fights at a really slow, sort of cumbersome pace, but he's really willing to just stick to some solid basic strikings, striking, and occasionally throw some flashy stuff in that. 
has questionable application. I don't know. His striking game is just funk. It's funky and weird, and I don't love it. Um, pretty standard thing with Rufus Board Fighters. Yeah. And then, of course, he follows that up with a really flashy grappling game that doesn't necessarily put him in good positions. Um, and but Weems, and Weems is out there just kind of being a you know regional bully who doesn't have a lot of background in MMA, but has learned you know some basic striking fundamentals and goes out there and likes to brawl with people. Mm-hmm. Just hucking meat hooks at people. Yeah. And crashing into them and having to like yep. duck his head and stare at the floor and just headbutt people in the chest so they yeah. take his yeah. head off. Yeah. So it's a question of do you trust Weems to be able to just go out there and be the better athlete who can brawl on Rodriguez and land big shots? Or do you trust that sort of Duke Rufus, he's not really doing anything, but oh, wow, he just pulled like he just jumped on his back and put a body triangle on this guy and now is about to choke him out kind of offense. Yeah. And um, I think I'm going to go with Weems here. I think he's just the better athlete. And yeah. I think so much of what Rodriguez is doing relies on being a good athlete and he's not. Yeah. But I don't know. Weems might just go out there and fight on autopilot and run into a jump knee, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I I don't disagree with anything you've said. I'll probably pick the same way. It It is just tough because these are, these are two really untested fighters. Nothing about Weems' game looks good or functional except for the aggression. I mean, yeah. that's uh, an essential ingredient, as you have often said, for yeah. MMA prospects. Um, and yeah, he's like, he's clearly strong and powerful. He's an absolute mess, but he makes every fight he's in a mess. Yeah. And I do think that's probably reason to pick against Rodriguez because he has this, um, I don't know what it is with Rufus support guys. This is a thing with their, their strikers. Like Eric Koch had this in a lot of fights, and mm-hmm. numerous others where it's, I don't know. It's, it's almost Winkle Johnny. There's this sort yeah. of. Uh, assumption that the opponent is going to like let you have your range. It's like a sparring mentality or something. Like you're 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 sharp, but like I just don't tend to trust these guys when the yeah. fights get really violent. It's like Anthony Pettis would not be the standout Rufus Sport fighter that he is without his a insane athleticism mm-hmm. and b his insane durability. Yeah, these things were both required that he be able to call on them at numerous points in his very long career. And all the guys we've seen who have lacked that, like Sergio Pettis had to get way, way, way better technically in order to compensate for not having those traits. And then other guys just tend to be really 50, 50 because they just kind of like, they have a camp wide tendency to just kind of let the opponent have initiative. Mm-hmm. Just let the opponent dictate. And, um, whether or not that were a tendency, Weems is going to try to dictate. But it, yeah. stands, it stands to reason that Rodriguez might be a little scared by it. So, sure, Weems. Yeah, that's that's all. I you know, it's like I say, some of these bouts on the the bottom of the card. I think we we're talking about this on the main card. They're not poorly booked. The right, this is the right fight for these guys. 
Rodriguez Weems. It's really just, a UFC caliber fight. Yeah, it's just the 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 gaps in what Rodriguez and Weems want to do. The gaps for a guy like Joseph Holmes or yeah. Steve Garcia, you know, uh, Treshawn Gore. A lot of the guys on this card is just there are places these fights can get taken really easily where they will be out of their depth. And yeah, it's just not it's not a high level fight. Odds on the bout. Rodriguez opened as a big favorite. Currently sitting, or open at minus 160, dropped immediately to minus 310, currently sitting at minus 372. Weems opened at plus 140, jumped up to plus 260, currently at plus 290. I, I mean, I, I guess Weems is coming on in on sh- super short notice, so that's probably a good reason to pick against him. Yeah. I just don't. I don't think there's a good reason to pick against yeah. anyone here. There's not a good reason for this fight to be happening. Yeah. It's just on pay, like just yeah, I just don't like what I see out of Christian Rodriguez. I don't like his style. It reminds me Yeah, it reminds me of like, I don't know, a bit of like Trevin Giles in that yeah. sort of like it's just like, okay, you're just not doing a lot. And when you do something, you seem confident that it should work instantly to like turn the whole fight in your favor and then the other person just keeps going. So, mm-hmm. anyway, on that note, it's going to wrap things up for us. You can find me on Twitter at these ain't silent. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyOpo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on BloodyOpo Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And we will be back in one week's time for UFC Vegas 64, 63, I think. I don't know. These things all run together. Uh, Rodriguez versus Lemos. So uh, we'll see you Lemos. We'll see y'all then. Adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not The Face podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>